Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How's everyone doing? The weather this week is graphic seduction. <sighs> yeah, we've got Graham Wood coming up on the show. I'm excited. Uh, I'm slightly honoured, not going to lie. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for Graham's work, got a lot of respect for his solo work, what he's done with Tomato. His new book is awesome, which we're going to talk about shortly. Um, and if you don't know Graham Wood, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because I'm bad for knowing who people are when I should do. Always told off by my tutors at uni, I still get behind with it all now, but there you go, you come across people, I believe, for a reason, or you spot people because you see something in them that you connect with in a certain way. Um, So we've got Graham coming up, we'll talk about that shortly in a moment, but first I must thank my sponsors, Illustration Limited, founding sponsor, got me off the ground, representing a lot of illustrators, lettering specialists, fashion illustrators, uh, mural artists, live people working live. (laughs) Um... They're a great agency. They they do good work for the industry. They look out for intellectual property. They work with the Association of Illustrators who also support the show and they just do good stuff. They've got exciting people on their books. They work with exciting clients and they've got a good way of going about their business. So go and check them out at illustrationweb.com. Heartinternet.co.uk, my tech sponsor. Um, they're awesome. They're a good bunch. I had Nick Leach, marketing director, on the show. Once upon a time, you can go back and check that out in the archive, as ever. Um, Nick and I talk about social media advice, about search engine optimization, what makes for a good, effective website, all that good stuff that you need to know, and that's exactly what Heart provide as a service, and they're very good at it, so go and check them out. Uh, they give a digital tip every month. Uh, and I wanted to just mention kind of sharing and being nice to people. Uh, it, this conversation today with Graham Wood came about thanks to Nick Clement from Glug, founding, uh, founder of Glug, co-founder of Glug. Uh, top guy, met him not too long back, hopefully going to get him on the show soon, we keep trying to make that happen, but the calendars have not synchronised just yet, so Nick, hope you're listening to this one, let's get it sorted. Um, basically, Nick dropped me a little line and he said, you need to get Graham Wood on your show, do you want an introduction? So I got really excited and said, well, yeah, if you're happy to do that, I'd absolutely love to have Graham Wood on the show. I'm sure he's a man full of ideas, which I can promise you he absolutely is. And Nick did just that. He introduced me. Um, and then Graham has since suggested people and introduced me to them. Uh, and I try and do the same. If students get in touch, if people get in touch for advice, I try to help where possible. Um, I think you've got to pass these things on, pay it forward, whatever you want to call it. It's really important. We're an industry that should look out for each other. Um, sometimes we forget that, but I think it's really important and it's never stood me in anything other than good stead. So there you have it. Bit of kindness, bit of nice suggestion, and just helping someone out. I think if you see someone talking about something online, or you hear someone talking about something in a pub, and you think you can help, make that little bit of effort. I think it really helps. Um, and it, of course, it was through digital channels that that all happened. So it just goes to show it makes the world smaller. And if people are nicer, it can be a really good thing. So there you have it. Um, that's thanks to HeartInternet.co.uk been helping me out for a while now really appreciate the help top sponsor top people go and have a look at what they do um so what's going on what have you guys been up to man's a siren going off out there manchester honestly not just manchester have you noticed when it rains the sirens start to wail have you ever picked up on that it's pretty crazy i think we'll lose our shit as humans we start rushing well i'm not tangent tangent time um <laughs> I must sound as mad as a wet hen sometimes doing these shows, so please do feel free to tell me to shut up. 
um, if that's the case. Where was I? So, I'm taking some time off, I'm taking a couple of weeks off, I'm taking December off, in fact, um, to finish my second book, or at least the first draft of my second book. Uh, if you've not read the first, please do go and check it out, Cheap Plug, Champagne and Wax Crayons, it's a very honest account of turning my profession, sorry, my passion, into a profession, so childhood hobby of drawing, the journey right through with all the uh, raw bits that we don't talk about, all the, uh, the real honest account of what it's like to to do that and make a career in the creative industry, so it's kind of a follow-up to that, but it's a whole different different thread. So watch this space, I'm going to be writing on that in December, uh, taking a little bit of time out, and it's the classic thing as a freelancer where no one's going to pay me for that, it's all very speculative, there's no publisher in the pipeline as we speak, um, it's all very... It's a gamble, to be honest, but I think you do just have to bet on yourself sometimes as, as a creative. If you believe in the right direction, then you have, then you have to go for it. And that's a thread that's going to come up today, actually, in uh, the conversation with Graham Wood. So before we get onto that, uh, just a little reminder, Olivier Kugler has a fantastic exhibition coming up on the 6th of December at Rich Mix in Shoreditch. It's all his work. Um, it's his reportage illustration work documenting the lives of refugees, people in the refugee camps in Coz, in uh, Calais and beyond. Uh, it's, it's amazing, touching, heartwarming stuff, really important work and he's going to be featuring on the 100th episode coming up. It's going to be a two-part special on the 19th of December and the 2nd of January. So again, watch this space and keep checking in. Lots of great episodes in between. Um Hope you enjoyed Jay Taylor, Kate Forrester. Go back and check them out in the archive. Subscribe on iTunes, drop us a review, please. Uh, feedback on the Twitter at Arrest All Mimics. So, without further ado, anyway, Graham Wood, um, super talent, real um, creative pioneer, probably very modest like the rest of us. Um, but I think it's safe to say there's a lot of respect for Graham and deservedly so in the industry. So it was a real honour for me to to get the chance to speak to him. So my experience with Graham's work goes back as far as 2003 when I started my degree at the University of Central Lancashire, which was in illustration. And my course leader, Steve Wilkin, um, said, I remember him telling me and pointing me in the direction of Tomato. So we had very limited access to computers at this point. This was pre-Facebook going off and the rest of it. Maybe some of you cool kids were on MySpace by this point. I don't know, but I wasn't. So I went and took time to log on and go and sit in the computer room and look up Tomato, and I was kind of shell-shocked. So the whole mention of uh, the weather being graphic seduction at the start of the show was quite relevant to this because it had a profound effect on me um, in a very subversive, subliminal way, kind of a ticking time bomb. So something sat very deep um, that I gleaned from Tomato's website. So Tomato were a, I want to call them a collective, they're, they're not, I won't call them an agency, I don't know what they are, it's a collection of ideas. So it was musicians, it was designers, it was artists, and they didn't necessarily need to or want to put a label on it, but there was a real visual graphic language there, something that just grabbed me and burrowed deep and sat there in me for all these years. And when my style started to manifest itself and my own interest in various practitioners and kind of sensibility and style and themes within work, I feel that there's always a, a strand of the work that Graham was doing with Tomato. Um, the kind of graphic language, the, the layered, the the subversive, the, the transmedia stuff, it's, it's that kind of feel that, that grabbed me in, in certain ways. So Graham's going to tell us about his influence from... Uh, film title sequences which also i feel had had a similar impact on myself i remember watching seven the opening sequence for seven uh david finch's awesome film with brad pitt morgan freeman kevin spacey and 
this real horrible bit of slicing off fingertips and this kind of glitchy, um, subversive, frayed, organic-feeling title sequence that really did just sit somewhere deep. Uh, also, Finch's Fight Club had a similar feel. So I really uh, relate to what Graham tells us about the impact of film title sequences on his own work and his own journey. So like I mentioned, I could go on all day about the impact that Graham's work's had, but I, I, I consider him uh, something of a pioneer and a real creative innovator, and continues to be so. So he's got a great book coming out, may even be out in the States by the time this show comes out, um, maybe not, the date, another date's coming very soon. Keep an eye out on Amazon.com and Code Hill Press, where you'll be able to pick up the book, uh, CodeHill.com, I believe is the website, C-O-D-H-I-L-L. And the title is Memory is the Medium. It's, it's fantastic. It's really good. It's beautiful. It's everything you expect from a Graham Woodwork. And again, it's forward thinking. During the interview, uh, Graham was showing me some VR work. He'd been working on these kind of gorgeous digital landscapes. Um, so I hope you're going to enjoy the conversation like I did. Cheers to Graham for taking the time to do that. Um, like I said, we've got the 100th episode coming up soon. Uh, awesome run of shows coming up to that. Please do keep getting the feedback over on social at to rest all the mix on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, drop me an email, hello at bentellen.com. But without further ado, I'm going to take you to my conversation with the wonderful Graham Wood. Uh, my dad told me to draw. Um, he was a, a kind of builder, electrician, all this stuff. So he was always doing circuit diagrams and things. And he had these books that were really fascinating to me. And... Um, he taught me to draw, you know, so he would sit, you know, sit me down and do seascapes and birds and things and all that sort of stuff. And then I just got into doing Disney characters and Marvel characters and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But also as well, kind of, um, I really, really loved, I don't, I really loved title sequences from, from a kid. You know, things at the time, like Department S and Randall and Hopkirk and all those sort of early, late 60s as well, probably more early 70s. Doctor Who original titles, mm. you know, all of those things really sort of struck me, and, and the Bond films and all that sort of stuff. So that was always at the back of my head. And then, of course, music, um, record sleeves mm. being a thing, you know, very young, introduced my, my neighbour, um, was really into sort of, rock and stuff. And so he had all the Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin album covers, mm. which ultimately I didn't know them, but were Hypnosis and all that sort of stuff. So always fascinated by that stuff. Yeah. And then, kind of as I got into school and I did art school, there was a kind of twinning of being... I was weird because I was a sort of mod geek. <laughs> so I kind of was really into mod and I was really into all that sort of stuff, but I was also really into Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and all that sort of stuff. That's a great fusion. Yeah, well, I was sort of into... I mean, once I got... As, as you know, as you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, there's, when you're young, there's big gaps between those. They, they seem like eons yeah. between each of those years and then you know and gradually over, the t- over time I sort of went from being a mod to a bit of a goth to a bit of a rocker but then I realised because it was all tribal then and so but then I realised I was just into everything sort of around about 16, 17 and I just sort of started working in record shops and stuff but at school I'd really sort of gone I'd, I'd sort of you know illustrating illustration you know kind of trying to do sort of realistic quite sort of stuff. And I was never quite so good at that. But I was also but I was very cynical about modern art, about abstract expressionism or any of that stuff. I thought it I actually thought it was all shit. Really. I just didn't believe it and didn't really kind of ever get my eyes open to it by anyone. Mm. And um but I was lucky enough on my A levels to have actually a graphic design A level at that time. I don't know if it's common now, but then it was wasn't at all. So I did English 
I wasn't going to English at college because I was really into um, talking and Middle English and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And writing as well. I used to love writing stuff, and I still do. Um, and um, so, yeah, I wasn't going to do English, but the only thing I was doing was English art and, and graphic design. And then gradually I was sort of the A-levels, the kind of art tutor kind of opened my a bit more to sort of being a bit more freeform and stuff. And so that was good. But then I, then I applied to sort of foundation calls. I didn't get in. So I went and worked in record shops. Mm. Um, so I did that. And then I, th- I, yeah, I left school, worked in record shops for about a year. Then I got um, a sort of fluked into a sort of art working job in a tiny, tiny agency in Chislehurst, South London. Um, did that for for a while, and then they were about to sack me because I was rubbish. Um, you know, I, you know, and, and I'd applied again to Foundation Course, but I hadn't. I just got a reserve place, and so I just didn't think about it at all. Sort of dismissed it completely. And um, you know, as um, as the term time came closer, I, I got I think two weeks before term was going to start, I got offered a place. And that was a Ravensbourne Foundation for a year. Very, very kind of. You know, exercise-based, mm. grey scales, grids, colour wheels, you know, learning, you know, working with gouache, hand rendering, all that sort of stuff, which I was okay at, but my kind of defence was I just did shitloads of stuff. Yeah. It was quantity rather than quality, so I just did loads of collage, mark making it, just sort of started to kind of, you know, open out a bit. And I had one, there was one drawing lesson I had with a guy can't remember his name now, but he sort of just basically went, if you look through the window, and just imagine if the window is a, a sort of a window into the world, not, not a frame, and just look at the way all the lines intersect, the way the sort of the pathways intersecting with the trees, with the roof, with that, and then just look at those structures. And I literally, just from one day to the next, my, the way I viewed the world changed. Mm. So it just opened up. It went from being sort of copying record sleeves and sort of copying styles to a trigger that made me understand how I could do things without having to refer to anything else necessarily. I mean, being inspired by things and all that mm. sort of stuff, but not just kind of copying, not just lifting, not just, you know, appropriating, but sort of actually having a little bit more of a way into yeah. a vision of something or sort of a sensibility about something. So that was really massive. And um, foundational... I, I mean, I fundamentally didn't really like the foundation course because it was very kind of po-faced and quite sort of, which I was gradually sort of less and less interested in and more, more into sort of quite splashy and kind of quite wild stuff. And then, and then I got into some Martins and that, from there, that was just, you know, really kind of just uh, unlocked something really. Mm. Just being in the environment in Soho at that time with the, all you know, everyone being around each other, all the peers, and, you know, yeah. You know, we were always all around college because there was no reason not to be, it was a great place to be, yeah. And so, and, and, and kind of going out and stuff, and all that, all that sort of thing. So, St. Martin's and some good, and obviously some good tutors, but but mainly the influence of our you know, the, the other you know, the people we were around, students, and so, mm. both in the year we were in and also the years around us as well was massive and it was also a time where things were um, really radically quite sort of 
open in a way. You had the Why Nots starting, well, they'd been around a couple of a few years, but they were really eye-opening because they weren't like anyone else at the time. They were really um, a group of people who were working on quite corporate things in a way, but they were working on them in a way that was, um, or at least on the surface, seemed very, very open to possibility and then not sort of shut down by bullshit and kind of yeah. corporate speak and kind of pretense, really, which all the other places, like fiction or whatever else, all, that, all those sort of places that were around then, the parlours, mm. pentagram, all those kind of places seemed very dead to us because um, they were kind of just a bit blank in a way, you know, just a bit kind of bland and blank. And, and really there was sort of no way in for something vibrant, kind of, it didn't seem that there was. Because one, one of the designers who I most liked and I was most into initially was Vaughan Oliver mm. and all of his sleeves for um, 4AD. And then there was also, um, sort of back in history, Reed Miles, who did all the Blue Note stuff. And, um, you know, Peter Savile, obviously, and then Brody's record sleeve work more so than anything else, the Cabaret Voltaire and other bands and stuff. And those things were sort of really, you know, because we were signed to music, you know. Mm. And, um, and, and, that sort of, and also the musicality of image, you know, how it can be very expressive of, of you know, in an abstract way, how it can be sort of rhythmic and colourful and yeah, melodic yeah. and all that sort of stuff, actual, actually using music to inspire stuff, even from just literally just listening to music, really obvious, or, or to deconstructing rhythm and, and um, uh, you know, melody and chord structures and, mm. you know, getting into... I mean, someone showed me a college, there's a book by John Cage <coughs> called Notations, which is his collection of um, musical scores, but they're all abstract, you know, they're all not the obvious. And that, again, that was like, well, that means there's other ways to do this stuff, whether it's musical writing, you know, cut-ups, writing you know, uh, uh, concrete poetry, you know, all, that, all those kinds of influences sort of oscillating around through college and through friends. Mm. And it just really sort of led to a love of, I mean, I'd always, as I say, love writing, which led, led me into typography. And I did a lot of letterpress at college, St. Martin's, um, which was great because no one else was really doing it. So there was just me and a friend, a guy called Steve Sorrell, who went out to found a company called Fuel, um, we were pretty much the only ones in the letterpress room, which was in the basement of Central, mm. where this guy called Ken had been there forever, and you know, in his kind of like, his kind of, um, you know, almost like shop coat on top of things. Yeah, and it was that kind of old school kind of ethos, you know, printing ethos. Did you ever feel? Did you ever feel back then studying? Did you ever feel a pressure with an eye on industry or career? No, because it, it sounds very much like it, that wasn't the case. But I, feel, I see it so much now in unis. Students from an early stage hooked on this idea of what they should become or what, what they feel pressure to become. Well, I was the thing is it was twofold because the second, the first bit I'll come back to, but the second bit was I was I'd already worked for a bit, so I fell into this agency in Chiswellhurst. I'd also worked in Paystarp, mm. and so one of the things that I didn't do when I went to the months I didn't go to any of the classes that were about art working. La di da, la di da. I was interested in. in using the Bertold, using the Mac, which was then around, starting to be around, and letterpress in order to be able to make things. But all the things that I'd done at work, I didn't go to the sort of, the, found, you know, the kind of foundations of those things because I'd already done it. So I went, to, I went to college with the intention of starting my own thing. Anyway, I wasn't 
trying to, I wasn't intending to go to work. I was, otherwise I'd try, yeah. I, I, otherwise, see then, that made sense to me that, and there weren't many people on my on, in my year and probably a few years either side who went to college in order to go and get a job. I mean, obviously many did, but um, it wasn't the raison d'etre of going to college. And to me, it didn't make sense to go and spend that time almost discovering your own voice and then discovering people around you who might have become mm. spirits to then go and take a job. And also the jobs were very kind of... Um, it was very much you know, junior designer. It was very, it was very hierarchical. Yeah. And there weren't any places. I mean, it's blase, it sounds blasé to say this, but you know, it was. But you know, we weren't, we weren't paying fees. We didn't have to pay a lot of money to live. You know, so all of that sort of stuff meant you didn't need to earn a lot mm-hmm. to live in London and do all the things yeah, we do. So it's so it's different. It's changed. So yeah, you know, and it, it was a fairly free situation. So you did have. You didn't want to kind of leave and just be completely like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. But you did, you know, so you did want to kind of check things out and work it out a bit. But by the same token, you had a bit of leeway. And um, so no, not at all. And, and, you know, I mean, my I mean, my year and the years around me, we had John Barnbrook and we had Abu Tadano and we had Fuel, as I said, and Tom Goodley went on to found Freeze magazine with um, Matthew Slotover and many, many others. Jerry Tankard, um, you know, and you know that was in, those were my year, but then, then loads of other people in, in you know, as I say, and um, all with the kind of drive to sort of want to do their own thing in yeah. their own way. Because mm-hmm. also as well, it didn't, you know, we didn't. One thing we weren't at all. Well, we weren't taught. Taught is the wrong word. We weren't shown or explained to or had described... We didn't have described to us working methods or working practices. We didn't. It was all about what are you doing now, how are you doing it, what's next, what are you doing, how are you doing yeah. that. No, it wasn't like, oh, well, there's this industry and the way they do those things <laughs> and what this is called. Is that, that kind of didn't exist yeah. in St. Martins particularly. I don't know about other colleges, obviously, but there was never any sense... No, there was no sense of what time, what you would be, what title it would be. Mm-hmm. Probably designer, some sort of kind, probably graphic designer. But that meant all sorts of things because there were people doing products, there were people doing films, there were people yeah. doing stage things. You know, there were musicians. Jarvis Cocker was in the film course. You know, and all that and all that sort of people. Some people went on just went and did fashion. I don't know. I mean, so you know, it kind of um, yeah, it, it, it sort of enabled you to sort of. Well, see, now, for me, college ultimately was all about time. That was it. I didn't expect anything. So there's another thing. It didn't didn't bother me that there was no facilities. I didn't comply. I was so happy. You know, it was all about just having this time and being around these people, which was beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was heartbreaking, more moving, and sort of wonderfully alive and vibrant and all the interplay. And so... You know, there was never any inclination or sort of desire or even, didn't even cross our minds to kind of go, well, where's our max and where's our this and where's yeah. our that? And we're, well, we weren't paying for it anyway. Um, but, um, but it just didn't, and so, because, so basically what it meant was is you would go and, just go and sort of grab stuff out of skips. Yeah. You'd go and get the last batch of photography paper and in a crappy dark room to try and do what you could, but it would fuck up, so that would be even better. 
Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and so, so there was that too. There was this whole thing of, okay, working out a bit systematic what you're doing, artistically what you're doing, but also as well, all the things that fuck up and dealing with when things go wrong, how you make it right, how you play with layering of things and mucking around with things, you know, and getting yeah. things together and, and having no money, no resources, no time, but doing, still trying to deal with what you're going to do. And that kind of built this whole kind of armour, I suppose, in a way, or not a very good word for it, but this kind of, this sort of, well, emotional and practical sensibility of how to deal with things and get things made. Yeah. Which still still with me. I mean, I've just done a project where I, I had to, you know, it's, a, it's just a demo for something, but, you know, I had to scramble and, and kind of get something done for nothing that should be fairly expensive. And I'm, I'm not people do that all the time, but yeah. it's still a thing. I mean, I kind of, God, yeah. If I'm left, you know, I always felt like, I mean, to students, I sort of always sometimes say, well, if you're in a room with a pencil and a piece of paper and not much else, what could, what, what would you do, you know, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And it really tests your uh, yeah. your way to respond and your adaptability, doesn't it? Which yeah. you're obviously great assets in any creative practice. Well, it's it's, imp- it's essential. Yeah. It's totally essential, and also as well. Um, and another thing from college, which again I thought was just the way it was, and just everyone did this, was the importance of doing your own work. Now, we weren't, I wasn't on a fine arts course, I wasn't on a design course, but it, it, there was no debate. It was like it's not, it's a commercial art, and sometimes it's not commercial art because of the way you do it. You might not actually get paid for the more abstruse, obtuse, odd things you do. So the kind of the notion of it, well, is it art? Is it design? It's just like, well, fuck it, it's both. And yeah. So, so those, so, and to me, it was a bit like if I didn't know how to make something for myself, how would I know how to make it for clients? Yeah. So I was very strongly inculcated in me for, from the beginning, especially at St Martin's, the the kind of ability to be able to do your own things, given a, a bit of a brief. I mean, even just. Here's a word. What will you do? Just one parameter. Just something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And some time. And uh, I like time. I mean, I do like. I think it's you know. Now I think it's really important to know budgets and time and and, and why you're doing something. You know, if, you know, is this for money? Is this for love? Is this? It's really important questions on any projects, and people tend to avoid them. And especially kind of more you know bigger places tend to kind of bullshit about them. But you've got to know, otherwise, I think it's really hard to make something. But anyway, with college. So, you know, I came out of college thinking every illustrator, designer, advertising, whatever person, um, commercial artist, did their own work. I was a matter of course. And I sort of, it took me a while to realise that it wasn't true. And also, it took me a while to realise that actually somebody really frowned on it. So that was a real surprise. But, you know, but, um, but that's the thing. And all of those things are still with me. And, Mm. still kind of motivate me and still drive where I do things so I love college I mean I, you know it's so important funny enough before I went I was so anti it yeah. you know I just thought college was shit rubbish was that before you'd gone up and worked whilst I was working you know yeah. well, before, before I got to college but whilst I was working I was like, a little bit like you know but but that but you know at that time there was there's you know you did there was a very there was a very um Blatant, that's not a good word. Um, there was a very liberal sort of sense of choice in that you could go to college if mm-hmm. you got in, but you could also go and do an apprenticeship in the print, yeah. or you could go and be a junior in an advertising or design company, or you could do this or you could do that. Right. So the kind of gamut of things was out there, 
and fairly straightforward to walk to not but huh, having said that see this is the other thing underlying all this from the moment when, from when I went to start to work at, in a record shop Al Price Records which doesn't exist anymore oh, I love Al Price yeah yeah <laughs> um, from, from the day I started there pretty much until well until pretty the second year of college I went to see someone at least twice a week mm. I went to see hundreds of people from from paced up places to des- designers I adored Vaughan was my first first sort of person sort of name person I got to see and stuff to you know all the all the kind of companies that I wasn't really keen on and stuff I went to see everyone yeah. all the time to sort of try and get a bit of freelance try and get a bit you know just to, or just to see what they were like and so it wasn't entirely naive you know we were very aware of what was out there as well yeah um, so, so there was that too, and so it's a bit like that kind of thing of, you know, it, it, it was a lot of legwork, you know. Yeah. I, I kind of forget because you kind of do forget, but yeah, you know, it's just you know all the places that would go little, little sort of weird magazine places off the back of Bond Street. You would sort of go, well, designers a ten a penny, and, yeah, you know, and all that sort of stuff, and kind of just going, for, oh, going for. I think you know, well, I didn't you know ending up somewhere I didn't even know where I was in sort of northwest London and going to be interviewed at a fireplace shop and wanted to have catalogs done or something. <laughs> just but just all these things that sort of I just sort of mm. just would do because it was just. But it's the same. You know, just from my own experience of doing a similar thing, you find that every single one of those meetings or experiences helps to shape mm. what you're doing naturally and give you some context. Totally, you know. Totally, and also as well as. More importantly, anything else, it, it tells you what you don't want to do. Yes, big you know, part of it. You know, and to sort of what to avoid and where to sort of not place yourself. You know, and sort of because in a way that's also should be quite a conscious thing. Yeah. You know, and so I mean, when I thought, you know, when I finished my degree, BA. Well, the thing that the sort of thing, you know, all of that, all that stuff, and then in the second term, yeah, second term of the third year. There was, a, there was a series of talks by him, people like Peter Savile and others. And John Morica did one of those talks. And, and he, you know, we went to see that. And he, talk, he spoke and showed some things. And at that time he was um, running the design side of a company called Vivid, which was doing music videos for people like Seal and George Michael and Tears of Fears and all that sort of stuff. Bit of a film company as well. You know, getting some features off the ground. And as well, he was doing graphic, you know, record sleeves and other things from like Rolling Stones and big advertising things and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, so he came and did a talk, showed this work, and I, I and I put my hand up and said, "What, what you're saying is really, really interesting because it was really fascinating." About it was probably the most fascinating person I heard talk about the thing. But the work is, is I don't think I said shit, but the work isn't doesn't back it up. So what's going on? And he sort of just said, "Okay, let's go and have a chat." So he went out a chat, and he, he sort of said to me, "Come, you know, come and see me with your portfolio." And you know, talking about making conscious decisions about how you present, I had a deliberately tatty portfolio, and everything in it there was no sleeves, and everything was loose because it was a lot of letterpress prints. There were things that uh, were sort of handmade books and photography and stuff, but everything was just sort of carefully rough, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, just this little A two thing. And um, so I went to see him with that, and um, he gave me um, summer work between my BA and my MA, and that was you know 
although I'd use Max for college, I'd use them to set. So what I'd do is I'd, uh, for letterpress, I'd hand draw it, go and set the text as a paragraph on the Mac, go and then photocopy it to size, to size things up and stuff, cut all the things out and then make a layout and then mm-hmm. go to the letterpress room and then make my letterpress thing from that. So I kind of use it in a very utilitarian way. And, um, but when I, when I went to work at Vivid for the summer with John, he put me on some rebel sleeves and um, it was the first time he just sat me in front of a Mac and said, that's it, you know, you've got to do, you know, do everything on this. So it was cool. And then start just, just get into it, sort of, so I, oldest freehand, which I think John Barnbrook still uses. I'm not sure, actually, but I'm fairly certain he does. <laughs> and um, so that was that. And um, that was a really intense summer of, a different thing of like you know being in that world of you know uh, of, of dealing with shoots and dealing with you just start to you know you, you yeah totally you had the faith in you well you, you know everyone everyone there was fairly young and you know was you know fairly open and stuff and then and he just looked at my work and went okay you can I just want to see what comes out and you know and, and also as well with the kinds of things we were doing nothing was changed by the particularly by the um, people we were working with, you know, they took everything that we did and stuff. Um, and it was racing around trying to get printouts of artworks from sort of printers and stuff and all that kind of thing and, and doing all those sort of things. So you learn a lot, sort of kind of crossover period of, of old print and everything being digital was the sort of around then and, and over the next couple of years. And so, so sorry, I keep making noises. Um, <laughs> So again, that was another thing which was really important because you know you could see both, mm. you, know, you know, how to get how things are done physically and, and sort of aren't really done anymore, but also as well how that can influence how you deal with working on one of on a, on a MacBook Pro and all that sort of stuff, yeah. or whatever you use. And um, so again, that's another thing that's always sort of stayed with me. It's, it's, it's really important, you know, kind of just having some kind of... I mean, for example, with the menu font sizes on a, on a Mac, I didn't realise for, for probably about two or three years that you could type in 26.35 point. I just thought the menu was set because those sizes are letterpress sizes. Yeah. They're metal sizes. So, uh, uh, so I only ever used the set sizes. Mm. But I quite like that because then you're kind of... You're establishing parameters yeah. within parameters. Mm. You know, and so I've always done things in sort of in um, multiples of seven, for example. So it just makes it easy to start. Yeah, you, know, you set up a grid off. You set up, you know, where you're going to go, how you're going to do this. You know, okay, just start somewhere. And so you know, there are lots of little kind of almost ritualistic little things that come from college and come from learning stuff with John, Lardidar, and, and uh, you know, kind of all came out of that time and, and still still use. But but but. Around then, so through that summer with John, there was a freelance guy working in, in this place called Simon Taylor, and he was working with Soul to Soul then. And there was also Dirk Van Doren, who was a very well-known illustrator at the time, uh, uh, book covers and newspaper stuff and all that kind of thing, post, uh, posters and things. And when um, about that summer, I went to the MA, so early the following year, kind of that company went under and stuff and John knew a guy called Steve Baker who worked in the record who worked in the music industry as a, as a manager for bands and so Steve basically looked, started to look after John kind of as a manager 
and John gave us all sort of bits of work <coughs> as he was starting, so I was kind of assisting him, and Simon was doing his own thing, dirt popped in and out, and there was also these two other guys called um, Rick Smith and Carl Hyde, who are, had been fairly well known in the 80s in a sort of band called Fur and the Underworld, but they was a kind of a poppy underworld. And then they were kind of reinventing themselves, and they, this is a very young 18-year-old DJ called Darren Emerson, and so they were reinventing themselves as Underworld, the sort of house dance band thing. Um, and so we all kind of, I think, over a period of a couple of months, sort of shared some thoughts and some had some chats and decided we sort of be a kind of sort of tighty loose-ish, loose-ish group of mm. some kind and then that's where sort of Tomato started out of Steve's flat in Clapham yeah and um, you know so again that was very sort of ad hoc and kind of sort of stumbled into that in a way because I always thought I'd do a company with friends from college or something or mm. whatever but, but that, that didn't happen but I sort of, you know, I kind of bumped into these people and then it sort of became that. And so we sort of started doing that with a couple of record sleeves and some brochure things maybe. And, I, you know, Simon was doing his own thing and, as I say, sort of Dirt was doing his own thing. And, yeah, and it was, that was, so that was great because that was as my MA ended. And I went from that into, into kind of working with, with John and everyone for all the time. Um... And that's sort of where Tomato started, really. Mm. Mm. Was there a, a, was it a very natural kind of meeting of mind in that along the way? Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been doing this nine years now. And along the way, I, I have those. You meet so many people, but every now and then, you, you just establish an unspoken bond with someone where you are on a wavelength, no matter your discipline. Mm. It, it, did was that something that you felt among the guys at Tomato? I was. Um, uh, it was a number of things. It was a bit of a marriage of convenience. Um, for for all of us, I think. I mean, certainly from my perspective, I was looking for something. I did want to start my own thing. I didn't realise in being working with John and the other guys that it would become that. So in a way, it was consciously unconscious. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but I definitely was looking for it. Um, our shared ethos was a kind of openness to things. So. And mainly an openness to letting, no, I say letting, to, to sort of letting each other be what we were. Because mm-hmm. that's quite rare. That's one thing I've, I've noticed is quite hard to find. Most, a lot of places kind of don't last because people can't bear someone moving a cafetiere. <laughs> you know, I mean, though seriously, I mean, it's, it's sort of, true. You know, and, and we didn't really care about that, you know, I mean, it didn't, it didn't make a difference in a way, you know, how. I mean, because we all, fundamentally, in, in one way or another, none of us were bad people. You know, we all had our ups and downs and our sort of quirks and stuff, but, you know, we, 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 had a, we did have an innate trust straight away. Um, so that was odd, in a way, because there was, you know, we didn't know each other that well. Mm. And so, you know, um, and if things got rocky, we could talk, we, we found it very easy to talk about, you know, over the years. But initially, it was really kind of, Sort of, I mean, it happened over. I mean, if you include starting with working with John, it was probably a year and a half of kind of getting towards it. I mean, sort of tomato, I suppose, officially became tomato. And, well, actually, no, that's not true. That's a bit, a bit less than that. It was probably um, 
sort of eight, nine months, actually. Yeah. But, you know, it's... um. I mean, and also, we were, you know, there were some wildly disparate personalities amongst the sort of seven of us, and then as it grew. So, you know, that too was pretty quite good, because we weren't all the same, you yeah. know, we weren't all looking for the same things at all, either. Um, quite radically different in some cases. Mm. And, um, but fundamentally, it was a very comfortable situation to be in from, from feeling happy, you know, from an emotional perspective. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, um, I mean, yeah, I, I could just, just, it, it was sort of so unfettered in a way, you know, really kind of, um, free, yeah. you know, I mean, even if the project was difficult, it didn't matter, it never felt heavy, you know, it was a, because there was always a way to sort of mitigate it or deal with it or try and make it better or you had someone you could, you know, you could talk to about it. Yeah. You know, you didn't, you didn't feel concerned. I felt, you know, you felt, I mean, I literally, you know, would be in Japan on my own but feel totally, you know, totally part of something. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that makes sense in a way. But it does, completely. It was, and it was really important. Well, I didn't, I didn't know it was important to me because I hadn't been on my own then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of only know it's because I'm, I'm on my own now but I have been on my own a couple of times since that, that that sense is really really strong you know it's really good mm. and it's really special if you have it you know and it does help you know um, and what helps even more is the fact that none of us have our name on it yeah so most places function like that good good ones but a lot of them have a name mm-hmm. on it like someone's name yeah whereas we didn't do that <clears throat> um, and um so from that perspective, it maybe that was even better. It gives you the freedom, doesn't yes, it, to, to, yeah. to go completely transmedia, mm. which is of course mm. what you what you did to great effect. Well, that was you know, again a lot of that was to do with um, chance, um, being in the right place at the right time, but also as well saying yes a lot, even though you didn't know yeah. whether you could do it. Um, so certainly, from sort of shifting from having only done print first sort of diversion from that was moving image <coughs> I was literally in a room with some people who wanted to make a TV ad a typographic TV ad and I just said yeah I'll do that and they kind of said no of course <laughs> but they said yeah okay and um, you know and sort of similarly over time whether it's been you know web or live action or events or even taking a job at a global corporate kind of networked advertising agency you know all, all of those things there's always been a, you know I've kind of almost lively sort of yeah. sort of stroll into not uh, this doesn't sound wrong from an emotional perspective and from yeah. a, a kind of expectation perspective gone into something with kind of like a kind of almost like well what could go wrong yeah. let's see what happens well it sounds to me like that probably comes at least in part from your experience at St Martin's in that Don't, totally definitely in that like you said about that openness and the and then the, the time to explore and be a part of something that you carry that into so many things absolutely I feel you know um, mm. without that independence you probably would have sunk or you know I, I probably wouldn't have just done it in the first place no no absolutely not uh, no absolutely not and St Martin's definitely gave us I mean especially at that time it gave us exactly what you say that sense of solid, solidity and sort of 
um, being able to sort of sort of get on with things in a mm. way that was quite clear and um, you know not too precious. Yeah. Um, and also as well, just knowing when something's finished and knowing when to stop and when things are time to move on and all that sort of stuff. You know, kind of not getting stuck in things. Yeah. You know, not trying to find the perfect thing all the time, but kind of a multiplicity of things. So in a way, that kind of thing on foundation course of kind of just doing quantity or quality. Once I kind of worked out a little bit of quality, <laughs> the quantity thing still still apply because I've always felt like um, it's important to be able to do within within a project. I don't. I'm not talking about doing options in that kind of let's do six options sense or three options sense. I just mean it's worth exploring even around one theme. You know, doing many kind of versions of the thing. But you may never never show them to someone. Mm. You might only ever show someone one thing. But it's almost kind of getting like kind of kind of really inside something, you know, even if it's just some some, you know, a kind of very simple project. Just trying to kind of discover what it is and how it works and how things fit together and all that sort of stuff. I think that's really important. And that's kind of in a way you can't be too precious from if that's an approach. Mm-hmm. Um you can't be too precious if you sort of take that approach in a way. I mean you, you know, I kind of um things may end up turning out very, very lean and kind of stripped down but to get there you kind of you know you, you kind of pass through something that was really Baroque and kind of yeah. layered and, you know and so there's all that although I tend to do quite Baroque and layered stuff but anyway um, so did the, did the projects you were doing at Tomato did they, did they come did, was it sort of formed from those or did you tend to attract people to Tomato because of what you what you built from your, your own work both and um, but, but the thing is we all initially had our own little bits of work. I mean, mostly I was working with John because I was, I was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And so that was my, he was my kind of work contact. So it was kind of enfolded in the whole thing. Yeah. And so, so, so he would kind of get things and I'd work with him on stuff I'd either assist him or, or do it, depending on what was going on. I started to get other bits and pieces. But for me, the thing really was I went, at the end of 92, 93, um, I went and worked in, an agency, basically, I, I, I worked, some of the first advertising stuff I did was for Nike, and um, it was some print stuff, and that got quite noticed, and then when uh, the agency called Lagos Delaney, they just won Adidas, um, I might just go and see them anyway, I mean, it's sort of coincidence, I can't remember exactly, but anyway, they got me in to work on Adidas, which was then just one, as well as other things as well. So, kind of quite early on. Although I didn't leave Tomato, but it was it was a, it was a job, um, and I worked on it, sort of the creative department was just Tim Delaney, Steve Dunn, and two other teams and me. So it was quite a small, you know, small, really small creative department, uh, and there was a studio as well, uh, which was much more traditional artwork studio. They didn't really have. Mm, there was like maybe one Mac there at that time, for example. And so um, I ended up working on pretty much all the bits of books because I was sort of kind of head of design because no one else was, if you know what I mean, sort of thing. So, um, and uh, although I wasn't, I don't think I was ever called that. But um, anyway, so the editor stuff, um, you know, I brought Simon in on it and John did some stuff, I think, and we did lots of more stuff. But um, going and working in there and it was a Guardian TV ad that was the thing I was like, 
Tim and Tim, they had the Guardian account and they didn't often do TV things. But they wanted to do a TV ad and Steve, who was the kind of head of art there, um, wanted it to be typographic and sort of graphic and stuff and just kind of got me involved and I said, and I did that and that was, so that was a big shift because then as soon as you kind of get into moving image, especially then, especially with TV ads, you kind of, you very quickly get other things it's, you know it was quite it was quite noticed and yeah all that sort of stuff so I got some I didn't I didn't stay within Lagos long although I worked with them quite with, with them quite a lot over the years but um I got offered some um Nike TV but kind of graphic-y moving ads and then other bits and pieces and within about six months I had a reel and so that was the thing for me that really started to attract other work because mm-hmm. um, I mean, now, I mean, I was still just out, I was still only two years out of college then, really. You know, it was yeah. quite early. If that, actually, about, you know, it might have been, been a year and a half. And um, so for me, that, you know, whilst the other guys were doing their, their things and stuff, that for me, that was the kind of thing. Um, and, and so I did a lot of moving image stuff. So, and then went from graphic, uh, moving image, graphic, uh, motion graphics into live action and other things. And music, some music videos, and also as well, Underworld were kind of kicking off with their mm-hmm. sort of very early stuff. So I would always do, whilst I was doing a TV ad or whilst I was doing something else, I'd try and get a sort of two hours or four hours or six hours in the edit suite to make some of the early Underworld videos because they were very quickly and very rough. Um, and um, so that was all happening at the same time. So that was really quite an intense period up to there you know, up to their sort of first album in 94, but, so kind of, you know, a lot of, bits of pieces started happening, especially with advertising, and movie image, mm. stuff, and, and I was, and again, it was always, you know, pretty much everything I did, didn't get changed, you know, it sort of went out as it was, Yeah. Um, was, it was really, you know, the experience of working with clients, and working with agencies and stuff, was brilliant, um, and you know, I ended up working with a hell of a lot of different people uh, on lots and lots of different things, and you know, um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel that? Do you feel that would not be the case today? I mean, I, I'll feel that there's a far more control over things. Do you, well, I think, I think there's a lot of people doing it as well. There's quite a lot. I mean, it didn't seem to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I sort of, you know, slipped into a situation that was kind of quite rarefied quite early but um, maybe but at that time it didn't seem there was a lot of people doing for example typography for moving image mm-hmm. it, you know there was John Barnbrook and there was um, David Carson was really on, on or at least on, in Europe from that perspective and um, and also as well Carl Cooper wasn't around yet quite and stuff and that's um, in America, obviously, but not so much here. And um, Phil Baines was doing stuff, and um, a couple of other people, but not many. Mm. Um, apart from some of you know, the kind of older school people who were still doing nice stuff. There was a lot of work, very quick because it was very, um, very visible. People kind of would want to see the real, want to see the portfolio. Mm. Kind of really quite, you know, like, you know. Um, I don't know, that's not making sense. It's not that would happen anyway today. Um, Obviously a lot less noise 
back then in terms of the sheer amount of stuff we're exposed to now with the internet if Surely that was a great advantage in terms of... Uh, well, I don't know, because it wasn't then. It didn't exist, so I don't know whether it was an advantage or not. Of course, yeah. In a way, I mean, it is a good question. It's, it's sort of, if it were possible to really kind of compare, then, yeah. But, I mean, I mean, there was, you know, at that point, there's always been, ever since I've started working, the discussion around, are we information overload? It's always been the case. And that's, yeah, because it's always been more it, and more. You know, well, <laughs> or not. Or you can just sit here and look out the window at the trees and the yeah. sky. Or not, you know, I think it's up to you. you it's know. true, actually. We have you more know. control than we allow ourselves. Yeah, totally, of course. And, you know, I mean, it's not something, you know, I've, I've ever particularly felt that sort of there's so much out there that I can't at least keep up with the things that I like or discover things that interest me or mm-hmm. or sort of lose myself in the things I want to lose myself in. Sometimes I get, you know, sometimes I get distracted. Yeah. But, you know... Um, I don't know, I kind of, um, I think all times are all times are equal in a way, because they are what they are, Yeah. which, you know, is a bit of a circular argument, but it's, it's true, you know, I mean, it just, things seem fresh and modern and groovy when they're fresh and modern and groovy. <laughs> yeah, it's very you true. Know, and that's kind of always, yeah. in a way, that's always the case. It's like that, it's almost like an Eddie Izzard thing and that kind of, you know, uh, now it's just gone. Now it's just gone. Now it's just gone. Yeah. Now it's just gone. So in a way, you're always propelling. You know, this is a philosophical or in a real sense, you know, temporal sense, but also sort of a bit of a philosophical angle. You know, you're always kind of moving forward. Yeah. In a way, so you know, you can't help that. I mean, you know, a, a sort of. Um, I mean, underlying it all for me is this notion: that if you can think conceptually, which lots of people can. And you have some kind of aptitude to be able to bring that out of your head into the world, however, then where it ends up is kind of not even secondary, it's almost irrelevant. That you can, as long as you're not dealing with things that are going to damage people's lives, yeah. <laughs> like probably architecture, you know, those kinds of things, building infrastructure, phys- physical infrastructure like roads and railways and all that sort of stuff, signage is a bit of a thing. If you're dealing in things like basically ephemera, kind of, not all of the things, no, but, but you know, record sleeves and, and websites and apps and VR and all those kinds of things, fundamentally sort of arguably ephemeral, except for the things that stick and sort of carry on with and resonate. If you're dealing in all those sort of things, I think you can do it all. I don't think there's you know, the, the whole kind of notion of pigeonholing is so bogus to me mm-hmm. um, that it, it just baffles me, you know, and I, I kind of... But again, I've always seen it. I mean, I remember illustrators' agents and how they would do... And I had some friends who were illustrators who very quickly got they left college and we would talk about how frustrated they were because someone wanted some bananas for an advertising campaign drawn and they didn't have bananas in their portfolio, so they didn't get the job. But, <laughs> yeah. but they had pears. It still goes on, and that still that still goes on, which is which is madness. It's preposterous. You know, we're in 2017, and it, you know, if you're a bit kind of into sort of making things, you can pick up. You know, most people are au fait with how program how a program works, so you can pick up anything fairly quickly. Um, you can always collaborate with people who know how to work things, and you need to work quickly. Yeah. So also that, that kind of thing is, you know, 
I quite like a little bit of delineation, and I got that from filmmaking, in that it's quite important, maybe, to not try and do everything <laughs> in filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you might be capable of writing, you might be capable of directing, probably producing, possibly. You might even be a cameraman, you might even want to act. But you might not want to edit or yeah. do the music, or you might like editing and doing the music and writing and, and directing, but you don't want to do the camera, you don't want to act, you know, do you know what I mean? There's going to be something, I think, in any project where you kind of, you need another set of eyes, ears, hands, head, yeah, to sort of be better than you, what, what they're doing, to sort of help you kind of, kind of find another level on things, but also as well to be a kind of a bit of a, a sort of voice to, of, of kind of like, are you sure about this? Is this good? Are you, mm-hmm. you know, that's a bit shit. Yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. And so kind of that notion of just being completely isolated, which is why freelancing now seems very baffling to me. You know, you kind of plonk into situations, this is your plug. Yeah. And you kind of just briefed and left alone almost. And then you do something and you kind of almost don't ever hear about it. Kind of. I mean, generally. Oh, yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of thing is... I mean, when I've worked in agencies, I would never deal with freelancers. Like that. I just wouldn't. You know, I mean, I had more 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 trouble. Well, I'm digressing a bit. We can go back to this one, but I had more trouble trying to explain to recruiters what I wanted yeah. than anything else. You know, from from people's portfolios and yeah. You know, I'd sort of I'd yeah, always, because people want boxes checked and they want uh, well, they, they want to they want things simplified. It doesn't always work like that. It's no, not at all. I mean, I was probably quite difficult because I would say, look, I just want to see personal work I want to see old work I want to see new work and I just want to see I actually just want to see what they want to show me yeah I don't want anything to be mediated I want to see what that mm-hmm. person you know wants to show me and I kind of go and I'd say I've got a, I've got a photo here which is all apps and very slick stuff is that really what the person wants to show oh no no I've got loads of loads of paintings and sketchbooks and this photography stuff but I didn't think you'd be interested so, <laughs> you know, it's just like um, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, it's a bizarre. Uh, no, it's really bizarre. I'd never really encountered it until I started working at JWT when I left to Martin. Not so much in America, but here, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the, that's only seven years ago. I mean, I never, yeah. and all through my working life, I hadn't really ever encountered that. Yeah, well, so many people these days, um, and it's hard, it's easy to fall into it, I guess. But but so many people operate on the premise of what they expect people will want to see of them. Yes. Which is the work, the quickest way to fade into, to follow the herd. Well, I also think that's how, and I think I think a lot, of, a lot of responsibility falls on creatives, whatever you want to call it, yeah. themselves, um, because they're not very rarely willing to speak up or, or confront it or try and buck, you know, kind of try and buck the trend or, or just deal with it in a way you're going to go, no, this isn't, this isn't me. Yeah, I can't do that. I, mean, I, I have a kind of a bit of a self-struck button, which is I can do most things, but if it requires me to not to, to, to lie, yeah. i.e. if someone says, well, look, only show them your global brand work or whatever the fuck. And I go, well, no, because that isn't, yeah. that isn't all. And if, I, if they think that's all I've done... They're going to be really disappointed in me. Yeah. Actually, it's going, to, it's going to backfire on me. Yeah, completely. And you know, I've experienced that with people who, you know, I've been recommended to do things. Who, uh, for, uh, as an example, I want to do something really punky once with just hand handwriting, photocopies, and a bit of motion moving image. And I kind of was working in a place, and this guy came in to help out. And I said, "Look, the project is eight hours. I know that's no time. Here's a whole lot of other things, and here's." You know, a whole lot of artwork, but it was all kind of, kind of yeah. ripped up stuff and then. Um, 
And the project is just to do three little 15-second things in eight hours. However you, however you want to do it. If you want to do it on your phone, if you want to do it wherever, if you want to just... I don't, I don't know. Just whatever you need to do to do it, that's the brief. And I went to see him at the end of the day, and he'd done a really slick, full-colour, beautifully, beautifully rendered, you know, photo-real one image. I said, I don't know how... How did you get there from here? Well, how did you get here from there? And he goes, well, you know, there was nothing upsetting about what you were showing me. And I said, well, the aesthetic was the photocopy-ness and the hand-drawn-ness and the ripped quality and everything. He goes, oh, I just thought that was just a pile of notes. I said, well, no, I didn't explain <laughs> it. And I also gave you a book on punk fanzines. He said, well, I didn't, I've never seen that stuff before. So he never experienced that, that aesthetic. Yeah. And he also, and it was very telling, he also said, I don't know how you could put something like that in front of a corporate... You know, like a, a you know a corporate company that does yeah. this stuff, and I said, I went, okay, so so the microcosm." But the point being is, I've often encountered that most at fault are creatives of all kinds. Yes, you have to fight for it. You know, I mean, you, you can't you know you can't look you can't not look in the mirror. Yeah, and also as well because people don't tend to. You know, when, when people communally get together, it's for dinners or for awards or for whatever, which are all sort of like shit fests and kind of like, it's like whatever, fine, get pissed. People don't tend to get together and kind of go, right, what is, what, what, what do we think is wrong? Yeah. And how do we think we can fix it in a positive way? Yeah. And then, so therefore, let's all try and do a bit of that when we're on our own, because then it'll mount up. And at the moment, I think... Um, Certainly, from a aesthetic, emotional, poetic, artistic perspective, the proliferation of recruiters, of agency people not quite knowing what they want, because I've, I've seen it from both sides, as many people have, um, of clients, not but clients are clients, and they always have been thus. So then, I think they're least to blame of, of anyone. Oh, I agree. In fact, there is no, there's no assassination, but they just want to, they just want to get done what they need to get done. So there's this whole thing of utterly, utterly bullshit titles, hierarchies, even entire kind of um, uh, disciplines within the kind of commercial arts. They've kind of grown up through a sort of set of misunderstandings, misappropriations, um, mishearings even, just this kind of aggregation of, of kind of ignorance upon mistake, upon assumption, upon whatever, mm-hmm. that's now, what was now causing a really, really big um, emotional disconnection with things that we make. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, for me, if anyone ever asks nowadays what, you know, on a on a job or whatever the company, you know, what is it that I think I'm into? I just say I'm into the art of it. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. If you want a business person, get someone else. If you want someone to try and be an account person, get someone else. Yeah. This is all for me. It's very. This is all about art. In all of it, mm-hmm. in every single possible way. Art is as much about compromises as about anything else. So I'm not saying. Yeah. It's not pretentious. It's not. It's not precious. It's not. It's not rarefied. But it's just about. That's what I. That's what I look at. Yeah. And that's it. And, and it's you know. I mean you know. I think it's you know. In a way now, I think probably it's made me sort of 
lose more work than gain in a way. So, but you're you know, probably happier. You're probably creating better work because of it, and and therefore, you know, mm. it has to be that way to a degree. Well, I'm still doing it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think so. With tomato, for example, I mean, I look back and I, and, I, and you mentioned then the people like recruitment and that kind of more business people and then people in roles that are and bullshit to a degree. It, did you ever did you encounter many people who came to you and, and would want you to carry out, let's say, an idea with a lack of vision or had something they'd already seen and they wanted that duplicating? And how did you did, were you always quite confident in in, in that attitude that you just described and telling them, well, no, well, no, that's not right for this brief, and they're far prepared to lose it. Well, um, yes, ish, but also as I think we kind of, you know. Um, Yeah, if, if something it was very rare, that that was very rare actually. If something was completely founded on you know, a kind of really flawed basis, then yeah, I mean you know there were some things we just we didn't do. Yeah. But we didn't knock back a lot of stuff. No. Really ever over the entire course of me part being part of it, and I'm sure the guys still don't. You know, we didn't really ever turn a hell of a lot of stuff down. I mean, stuff only really ever got turned down if we didn't have the time or. Yeah. Or, or you know, or there was no one free, or you know, whatever. Um, but, and a, but but occasionally a couple of things, you know. And, but really, in a way, if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, a large part of the job is trying to deal with that. Yeah, of course. So I quite like dealing with things. <laughs> yes, negotiation, are, isn't it? Um, yeah, totally. So no, so it isn't about you know everything is compromised because you've got it in your head, and even if you're just working yourself or you've got the best people around you making your own thing, it never comes out quite the way you expect. Of course. So 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 that's that's one thing. And then I always found it quite I mean, you know, I mean I did a, I did a lot with a lot of work with Procter Gamble at one point with Tomato. And I was just quite tickled I mean I found it really pleasing and wonderful that they just really respected or appreciated an approach which wasn't one the one they usually yeah. Dealt with, but but I wasn't doing work necessarily that I would think was amazing. Yeah, it was always a response it, to that. But their... it was, but it was sort of it worked for them in a way that was really, yeah. you know, beneficial and stuff. And it was a bit different to what they'd always done. Yeah. And so it's always it's degrees. I think within the context of things you're doing, it's about degrees. I mean, you know, aside from the, a few projects I've done that have been totally freeform with people mostly musicians I absolutely adore yeah. probably probably commercially the, the, working with Unilever was probably one of the most yeah. rewarding things I've ever done because they were pretty open to things and, yeah. you know, I've, I've, you know, rarely, I've rarely found clients to be like you say that, that pig headed idiot nine mm. times out of ten when you go back to them with a with an interesting idea that you care about, yeah, I very rarely find too much resistance to that. Mm. I'm genuinely quite appreciative of you know, the fact that you have the balls to go back and and try to explain that it could be better or it could well, be something different. I don't even think it's balls. I think it's what you do. Yeah, I think that's part of what you do. Now, I get the reason why you say that's balls because I think that's kind of dropped away a bit. Exactly, because people don't aren't quite I, I, either don't realise or have forgotten or aren't willing to do that but that's what you do I mean it doesn't cause look I mean no, a client comes to you and, you and there is context and there is a thing they're doing and you recognise that so you work within that mm-hmm. yeah so for example if you're going to work with NatWest you're not necessarily get a troop of naked people to paint themselves blue and 
throw themselves against the wall and recreate some Eve Klein thing. Oh, you might, I don't know, but, but <laughs> whatever, I don't know. You know, something, you know, you're working with something that there is context for and, you know, there, there's a certain amount of things going on around it. And, you know, to do something with that that might blow their minds, for you might actually just be something that's like one degree away from what you would... You know, like from what they do is the, what, what you would consider the norm to be for that kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, I mean, and I've you know, I've, worked, I've worked with record companies and bands that have that behave more corporately than yeah. global corporations I work with. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know, you know, well, the one I think one of the things that keeps this really interesting is you never know what clients we like. Yeah. <coughs> but I do think it's as soon as you step into as soon as you kind of make too many promises about things being brilliant and perfect and you're going to make the best thing for them ever, you're in trouble. Yeah. And as soon as you back yourself, you know, you back yourself into a corner by doing that, then you're stuck, you know. And I think, again, a lot of agencies, places, are entirely set up to do that to themselves. Yes. Because of the way they approach things. Yes, we are the future. Yeah, oh, no, exactly, oh, all of that stuff. <laughs> you know, we are the one place you should be at, this is the thing, this is it, our propriety, this and that, yeah. is... What's next? You know, we're disruptive. We're innovative. Mm. It's like okay, you know, okay. Why are you? I mean, let's let's see if the work. Yeah, let the work do the talking. <laughs> let's always, see, let's yeah. see if that does that. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, it's the most. What well, the most? Some of the most moving things are a piano, out of some speakers. I mean, yeah, you know, or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is that innovative? Is that disruptive? It might well be, because it's a form of, of the times. But actually, people have been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. And so basically, I you know the cars. It's funny. I was I went to visit the the guys at the Beautiful Mean yesterday. I spoke to Tom Sharp, and you know he, he's they're they're doing some really interesting things. I really like the work. Mm. Yeah, and they've got an ethos which is very much of that kind of headspace. In that kind of they they really I won't speak for them too much, but it seems like you know they're really pushing for aesthetics and poetry and yeah. possibilities. But it's you know again tonally whatever it is can be. Could be very serious, could be funny, can be dark, can be light. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But within those, within whatever you're doing, yeah. Just trying to do it in a way that's absolutely it, integ- in, you know, yeah. intrinsically what it is. Yeah. You know, this is this. Yeah. And if you do that, then I think you know you're laughing really. That's very true. You know, and so you know to sort of see things that get done through I don't know sketch or whatever the fuck is the latest thing. Which is fundamentally not even really a program that functions in the way that you know um, a kind of a, a decent sort of design program functions. It's so homogenous and so leading mm-hmm. you know, towards you know, I'm sort of talking technically now, but but the output becomes homogenous. Yeah, you know, an app, you know, an app looks like an app looks like an app looks like an app. They don't have to. No, well, you, it's always what you, you do. Know, you know, and that's the thing. And and if, you know, in a way, you know, it kind of doesn't. You know, I. I, I you know, I kind of the, the kind of the commodification of look. We used to we, we used to do websites and, and, and you know, with, at the beginning, uh, you know, ages ago, like late nineties, early two thousand. Little, what well, we didn't really call maps then because we didn't know what, what they were. They were things that kind of were on your watch or on your phone, but kind of in a really rough way, and um, like little sort of ringtone things, and but they had visuals, and like uh, and, and and little kind of. With some stuff with PlayStation and some sort of bit, bit of gaming and you know a bit of environmental stuff and and some and obviously web stuff and you just do it you get on with it and design it you know 
freehand illustrator, whatever you, you know, in, in yeah. Clark, yeah, in design, Photoshop, by drawing, photography, mm-hmm. and you do it. And um, and meanwhile, you were, you were um, responsible enough to actually have a structure to it. And if it needed to be a selling back end, you kind of probably engage someone who was really okay with that. And la di da, and there you go. And now that's called UI and UX. Yeah. But by calling it something, you've immediately destroyed it, I think. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think those two things in particular, because no one ever uses them in the right way anyway. You know, the amount of times you see that, you know, kind of people looking for a UI stroke UX. It's like, hang on a sec, you're looking for a carpenter stroke helicopter pilot. <laughs> you know, um, kind yeah. of thing in a way. I mean, okay, you can be a creative strategist, and that's all possible, I suppose. You know, like, fine. Um, but um, uh, in fact, carpenter helicopter is more likely, to be honest, probably. <laughs> um, but um, but those the commodification of those things in particular, I think, has really been damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, because because there is the real dryness to it. Yeah, and it's a real it's a brick wall. You know, you kind of really do have people operating in that in that world who have no conception of emotion. Of an, uh, Even no, just the way they, they try, you know, you get the, you get the approaches on LinkedIn and things from people doing you, and they're always fucking so dry. Like, I don't uh, know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think it's spam a lot of the time. It's that dry, you know. It's well, like, yeah. You know, it's just it's so. You know, and I kind of you know, I, I've actually never actually met anyone like that. No, me neither. You know, I mean, you know, I kind of. I mean, all the, all the people I know who do who kind of who really sort of specialise in doing the stuff that exists in, in the sort of web space or in the app space or in a world of spaces tend to be much more freeform and open and looking for things that are sort of very visceral and alive and mm. somehow re- resonant in that way. And then you kind of there's this odd sort of kind of consultant stroke kind of uh, well, it's another kind of you know, it's it's just another kind of. It's all voodoo. I mean, it's, it's just another kind of voodoo, yeah. but a far less resonant and kind of joyful one than the, than the actual voodoo. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, which I mean, doesn't have any history either. But, um, and, and actually also as well, I mean, it's a bit of a rant, but it's, it's also as well, willful, it seems like it's willfully forgotten everything to do with the last 150 years in particular of sort of design creative history. So, like, for example, you know, when, every, when there was a kind of whole skeuomorphic stroke flat debate, and I was, like, thinking, well, has anyone seen any of the identities for, like, Lufthansa and stuff in the 50s or the Olympics or yeah. all those things, all icons? Like, what? Really? You think icons are new or fresh? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I know, it's funny, there's a lot of... What's that fucking... Sorry. Right? Fast company. Oh, Christ. All the, 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 those articles on Fast Company and Fast Company Design, whatever it's called, uh, you know, those every almost every single one is like, oh my god, there's there's a there's this colour called blue, and it's amazing, and you could do this with it, you could do four things with it, <laughs> and those are the only things you can do with it, and that is what it's for. And it's, oh god, give me a break, really, please. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> just you know, oh, wake up in the morning, what's that big yellow thing in the sky? <laughs> Yeah. No, but really, I mean, we're not moving on. You know, we're stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's not entirely true. And, you know, there are some some great things happening. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I'm to think of what they are. But <laughs> well, you know. But um, but you know, and it's also you know, you can see it's sort of happening in VR as well, which I happen to think is really interesting. Uh, but at the moment, it's pretty much 
oh look at that <laughs> look at the ceiling yeah <laughs> I mean mostly I mean the sort of 360 thing and all that sort of stuff you know it's like there's something really interesting happening right there in the one sort of point of view but as soon as you VR it and move around it's like oh there's a cupboard and there's a wall <laughs> you know type of, type of thing a bit I mean this is a bit naive yeah. a bit kind of bogus and arrogant but you know it's, there's that because I want to sort of see trippy shit and just like stuff that's mm. like avant-garde filmmaking or you know like people like people like um, Len Lai or um, uh, what was his name the guy who did Dog One Star and, um, Stan Brackage and all those kind of weird filmmakers from the 50s and 60s mm. were doing with kind of collage and butterfly wings onto celluloid and running it through but what's the, what's the equivalent now and what, yeah. or what's not even the equivalent but the kind of different thing that's that and you know, to me that's where you really get sort of things moving forward and fuck knows we need it at the moment we need some uh, some poetry and some oh. beauty around I mean it's just you know and actually but, but then again the time you know the times are such that actually although I don't know it's pretty bad at the moment but uh, you know well, I think one of the things that happened in the sort of 90s through to the early 2000s was it came out of years and years of Thatcherism. Yeah. No, we weren't, we weren't kind of, you know, successful because we're not. We weren't Blairites and stuff because Blair happened in 97. We were coming out reacting against Thatcher. Yeah. It, you know, that's what that was. It wasn't the whole Blair, that, that kind of Blair, um, cool Britannia thing wasn't, was the late, was the end. Yeah, it, yeah, that was the end. We were literally because it was 97, 98. But it was also it was it was the stuff that was that came out of Blair and and um, Corbettina is 2005 onwards. Yeah, probably because it takes about five, seven years to things to sort of you know kind of percolate and kind of become mm-hmm. true because people have got to sort of react against it and see it and I know. But for us, it was all about this kind of like you could feel the, the Conservatives were losing grip. Plus also there would have been, I think, 91 it was, or there was, again, there was a big recession, you know, and, and there was, you know, things were really difficult. So, but I was at college, so I was lucky enough not to notice it. And that's what Tomato came out of. Came out. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and all of those things, club club world, uh, what was going on in TV, what was going on in music, everything came out mm-hmm. as a kind of, and the the the, 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 the Goldsmiths crew and stuff. Yeah. Well, adversity does bring its own great creative merits. Totally, I mean, of I mean, course. And, and I'm I'm starting to feel a real discontent now, deep down, and it's yeah. and it's producing ideas in me. To, exactly what you just said. Mm. I'm starting to form collaborations now with people. Off yeah. The back of the, the motivation that's giving me the anger. It's it's great fuel if you can turn that into a positive. Well, I think getting into education is something really important. I mean, I kind of I've tried, but I kind of um, I mean, over the years I've lectured and taught and stuff and. But trying to get, not having done it full time officially in that kind of sense, yeah. is as difficult as anything else, really. Kind of because, you know, I mean, I applied. I actually applied for a lecturing thing somewhere last year, and um, it was more corporate. Again, it was more corporate than the most corporate thing I've ever oh, experienced. Right. I know, I know, guys you know, have been teaching for years, yeah. and they're on the brink of quitting because yeah. of that. That so bureau, so much bureaucratic bullshit going on there yeah. that they're they're heavily restricted in what they can do and the creativity they can implement in their roles now. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and you know that whole thing of how people are behaving when they enter into college, which is a massive kind of lag of still being school kids and not being sort of autonomous and just. Yeah. And not really knowing why they why well I mean again I don't want to decry 
a whole bunch of people, which isn't true. But sort of, you do need to know why you're going somewhere. Yeah. You need to know why you're going on holiday. You need to know why you're going to work in order to enjoy it or make something yeah. of it. You know, it's, it's the same so thing. True. If you don't know why you're going down to the high street to do some shopping. Yeah. Yeah, you, you come can, back you with you some... Can, there's a thing, there's a, a real poisonous thing, as we discussed briefly off the back of the piece. So yeah. The, uh, the conversation we had anyway the other week where I said that sort of, I feel that because of the nine grand a year thing that, that, that a lot of, they're turning up from school, like you said, without having had the independence of college or a foundation mm. course. Mm without any real reason to be there apart from the fact they think they might be good at something and expecting it as a customer now to be taught everything and that's not how it works now. well no you can't I mean that's the thing you know that um, well that's well that's what's happening to our culture it's like anything that doesn't make money i.e. institutions NHS college um, public services fire fire police etc etc all those things are not about they're not Profit and loss centres, or they're not profit centres. They're not places where public housing. You know, that's not a place where you, you know you ex- even can contemplate whether the value of the property is going to go up because it's public housing. Yeah, it's about housing people. Yeah, you know, it's about giving people a home. You know, all of these things are being eroded, and they have been eroded over the last ten years in particular, to become about profit and loss and about business and about. You know, and, uh, you know, and obviously we're talking about college in a way, and yeah, 100%, you know, you cannot go to college and treat it as if you're a customer. Mm-hmm. It just, it's a complete negation of, of yourself, of your own, it, it, you know, it absolutely denies you any room to grow, I think. Yeah. Well, everything you said that was great about St. Martin's is, is that's the polar opposite of it, yeah. know, to do that, and, um, and destructive, you know, you can't. Well, I did a Christmas lecture at St. Martin's a couple of years ago. Phil Baines asked me to come in, and I called it, when did, when did art school become uh, industry's gimp? Which, and it, you know, it was about a lot to do with my experiences at St. Martin's, and then I kind of spoke about what I felt it was like now. And so, you know, and um, it just is... Uh, I mean, even the way the new buildings in places that I've visited, I've been to Manchester and St. Martin's um, and uh, Canterbury and a few other places... I mean, actually, Canterbury's quite good, actually. Canterbury's quite old, quite sort of like, there is somewhere to make mess, and there is somewhere yeah. to do this. And so. But so, m- most of the other places I've been, I can't even work out where you work unless you're working on a laptop. Yeah. Cause, cause, I've seen that too. You know, cause, and also as well, what it means is, is people don't, peers don't know each other because they're never really together, except for crits. And if you're only ever together for crits, that makes the whole thing fraught. Because you don't want your stuff to be dissed. You know, you don't want your stuff to be criticised. Yeah, if you don't have a relationship, yeah, then it's going to feel that way. You no, know, exactly. And that's the thing. And it, it just... it just, um, And also, as I know... But... And, and I, I... You know... I, whatever. You know, it's... Uh, but I think DMAD and, and those kinds of institutions have had a negative impact on college as well because all I ever see, in especially in third years... Are the tutors using DNA as a crutch? So do DNA, you're getting new blood. You do DNA, you know, almost. In fact, in some places, I think they set it as as a kind of um, mandatory part of the course, uh, which I think is is so twisted. Uh, you know, wrong. The court, the college, the, the ethos. Well, first of all, your own ethos. Yeah. First of all, your own ethos, assisted and supported and enabled by the tutors in combination with their approach and whatever the college is doing but as a kind of a helping hand 
allowing you to find your own voice and your own path. And if you want to do those things, great. But but as mo- as modules, whatever it is now, and as at, you know, part of the coursework and as a mandatory project, absolutely not, no way. And I just you know that that is a killer because because no one institution can do everything. No, of course not. And one thing DNA do do can't do is it can't get into the mindset of someone who's uh, really trying to find their own way. Because DNA did by, by its nature is about awarding something. And when you're awarding something, especially the way DNA does, does it, which is to do with entry fees and just deciding to put it in and making all these con- conscious decisions, which actually isn't an award, it's a competition. Mm-hmm. There's a difference-ish. Um, once it's all about all of those kinds of things, it's no longer about anything but kind of conforming. Yeah. You know, and if you're at college and you're trying to conform, you're fucked, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it depends. I mean, it depends on what you really want. But from the from perspective of trying to find things that are sort of particular or, or weird or odd or other ways of working or push. Backtrack a little bit. All of this is to do with this. A fairly simple thing is what, whether you, go, whether you go to college or not, but if you go into creative industries, surely, surely isn't it about being the next generation, pushing it forward, yeah. stepping forward, stepping into the unknown, taking things on, you know, in tradition, knowing a bit of stuff about what's gone before, but either changing it, reworking it, remaking, remodelling, all these things, whether you're on your own or collaboration or together or whatever, but with an open heart, Towards the next set of things, always towards the next set of things, and DNA can't do that. I don't think because it isn't. It's about it's about retrospective. Yeah. It's about awarding. It's, at its heart, its ethos is about what's yeah. gone before. It's about awarding what's gone before. Yeah. So uh, so so DNA aside, so also is the corporate world because the corporate world functions on what's worked before will work again, so there's no reason to change it. There's no, reason mm-hmm. to change it. no matter how much they go, oh, innovation is a new thing. Well, it's a new thing because it's just another word for what the last thing was. Yeah. Authenticity was a word at one point. Robust was a word at one point. I, I, you, know, you know, all this sort of stuff. Disruption. You know, it's just another word. You know, it's just another word which doesn't require any commitment, any real evidence of standing for that thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a band name. It's slow. Yeah. It's whatever. Um, so all of the, those things too are, are about being kind of retrograde. And what that happens then is you enter into those things, and unless you've either experienced trying to move things for yourself before, or, or you've got it, in your, you've got it so strong in your heart that you, you know you're able to do it no matter what. And I've not, I've not met many people. I think I've met one or two people like that. I'm talking about as young, young younger workers. Um, you're never going to do it, mm-hmm. you know. You, you know. You may well go and work somewhere for ten, five, ten, fifteen years, start your own thing, but your own thing will only be the next, another one. Yeah, it will just be the other thing. Except maybe, you know, everything you might do might be beamed into your brain because that's what's going on at the time. But it's basically the same thing. Yeah, if you know what I mean. And but. 
the things that really do change things and really push on and give things a different perspective are concept, con- conceptual thinking, twinned with aesthetic thinking, absolutely in one thing. You know, kind of the notion of a kind of creative big idea that's world changing. Um, to think, there's, there's albums that have changed the world more than Facebook have. Yeah, you know, and, and so that's what you know. You, I think we've got to be sort of careful about in this, in, you know, because the sort of seduction of coming up with the next platform. Well, the platform is just to put something to put something on. God, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah. it's just a thing to put. You know, but but the kind of pursuit of platforms is bullshit. It, it's really, you know, kind of yeah, um, things. I think the world of things is really important, and things like sound, image. Mm-hmm. Intellect, yeah, you know, ex- experience in terms of content's another buzzword. You know, when I, you know, I, I mean, I know I've tried to do it, and I just but I'm sort of going, well, you know, real content is like a TV series. Yeah, content's like, been around since the dawn of time. More like a book. Yeah, but what they, what, but again, what what is meant by content in that context has almost nothing to do with stuff that's actually. Yeah. Sort of has contents. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's like, have you ever tried to write a TV series? Have you ever tried to sort of, sort of compose or make make music? Have you ever tried to, to make to do a painting? I mean, you know, it's like these things take take. They might not take a lot of time, and they might not even take a lot of effort, but they take some time. They take some effort and commitment. And, and yeah. commitment. Well, they take well. The main thing they take is commitment. Yeah. And and actually, that's that's another thing. You know, committing to something is really truly important as well, and sort of seeing it through. Not really, no matter what, because you've got to be careful. You've got to be, honest, you know, you've got to not end up in complete catastrophe. Yeah. But you kind of, you can, you can get to the edges of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, that's another thing. You know, kind of going back to a bit of the college thing, a bit of the DNAD thing, and a bit of the kind of institutional thing, is that one of the things I actually really struck me, because um, both with Tomato and college and, and it was. Well, do with my kind of approach and all just things I've kind of dis- understood and discovered for myself is I was really shocked when I first stepped into an agency in the library pretty much entirely because this is the NAD annuals. Really? And well, yeah, and I just thought, well, that's a bit like, so circular, it's like eating its own tail, you know, it's sort of referring to design and advertising and stuff to make it yeah. is the least fruitful way. I mean, every, obviously everyone's got their favourites and, you know, you've got your own kind of People you aspire to or kind of really love, yeah, of course. But 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 the thing is, the real sort of true sense of kind of discovery and exploration and sort of understanding comes from outside. You know, comes from everywhere. But you know, you bring all those sort of all the things you're into at the time you're doing something and the mm. things you stumble upon that are to do with the project and kind of ob- you know abstruse little kind of digressions and pathways off to one side. Those are the things that really make things interesting and bring things alive. You know, kind of twinned with your own sort of sense of kind of you know kind of oddness and yeah. and sort of kind of you know how you might deal with things as well, and that's that's where you really and and you know, a third strand to that is is things that are out of your control. Yeah, embracing chance. Yeah. Well, chance. Well, what all the things that go really badly wrong. I mean, some of the best things I think I've ever done have, have actually been really fucked up and trying to make something of it. You know, and um, 
you know, and, 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 and you know, you know, on a couple of occasions being at, at one point, this isn't working at all, you know, and you know, and, and then the response to it is, is really good, and so you, you know, it, it's all of that stuff that kind of is anathema to a lot of more kind of institutional methods of working that it kind of doesn't allow for, you know, it doesn't it don't allow for that kind of, yeah those kinds of things, you know. Um, and I kind of, you know, I don't mind processes and I don't mind, I mean, the first tomato book was called Process, but it was about the notion of process being anything and everything mm. all the time everywhere, you know. Did you, do you feel like you managed to, I mean, well, to start with, was that something you experienced at JWT? And if so, did you find it? Did you find did you find you managed to break through that attitude? And, and yeah, I think the team was great. I mean, the, the New York um, working with Ty Montague and Roseby Ryan and all the other people there was superb. Colleen De Corsi is now global. He uh, said he's from Wideland Kennedy. They were all such inspiring people. I mean, it was a bit like um, you know, I, I kind of I mean, once I, I you know. I was just coming out of tomatoes, so and then deciding to leave, at, you know, obviously at that time because that's how I left, you know, to, when I got that, and, and I was sort of, so I was some, somewhat naive about it, really, in a way, because I just didn't know what to expect. I mean, I've worked with agencies a lot, but I hadn't been the inside one, you know, mm. so I kind of wasn't quite aware of what that could be like. Um, but I also, but I really wanted to be in New York. And I really liked Ty, who was the chief creative officer at Time Montague. And um, so, so the kind of the main bits were sort of there. I wanted to move to New York, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, I mean, at least, I, 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 it was the case Ty employed me because of what I was, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I you know when... He sort of said to me, "What would you do?" And I sort of said, "Well, just give me a desk, and I'll start making things." You know, and, yeah. And hopefully, it kind of that's what happened. And and there was just lots of good people there who were really into trying to do something. And it was about changing the place around a big, you know, globally. It was it's like seven thousand people, and the York office was seven hundred or something. And so they're dealing with a different kind of context again. But fundamentally, the projects were, were projects, you know, mm-hmm. and. You know, some of them required more or less of what it was that, whatever it is, I can do with them. You know, and yeah. and, and also as I you know, Tomato is always collaborative, at least in terms of being open conversationally and sharing everything and all that sort of stuff. So I, I really I, mean, I don't have a problem collaborating at all, and I do think a place like you know an agency ought to be really collaborative a lot, a lot of places sort of aren't really in a way because it's mm. weirdly you're all employed by the same place but actually you're like islands you know it's like yeah all be a little you know, whereas Tomato we were all freelance and not really employed but it was loose but we were really really together yeah. so it was kind of weird I was like that you know um, but um, but you know JJ New York was um, was fundamentally great it's really intense and kind of crazy and just sort of you know mad you know trying to do mad things but but Times thing was really great because it was like, well, we, if we're working in an agency like this, we ought to all know that we can do some film, we can do some print, we can do some outdoor, we can do some web stuff or whatever. So let's start with the things that we don't know we can do. So, you know, it was you know a lot of sort of kind of careering off into the unknown, you know, and sort of 
sometimes very businessy things that were kind of different ways of dealing with how do you deal you know how do you deal with budgets in a, in a, in a way that's different and how do you deal with sort of back ends of things that's in a, in a, you know really interesting and mm. brings it alive and actually a lot of precursors having said you know platforms that were kind of odd thing and kind of a bit dangerous but we were talking a lot this was 2007 for a few years you know, three in New York three and a half years four years um, a lot of things we were talking about then if we quite a few that we didn't manage to do because there was no context for them but they were like trying to establish how well how does a bank work more like a restaurant yeah you know how does a, I know that kind of that kind of very business, you know, very commercial businessy thinking, but there was no sort of precedent for it. You know, how can things be more personal or more, you know, in tune with what you're doing, or you know, stuff that now is probably being done by startups who earn millions. Yeah. But you know, we were trying to do it then, but it was, there was no place for it. Mm. And Ty was very, very good at that. And um, and also so there was a great guy, another, and there was a lot of great people there, but there's a guy there who's still there, I think, called Guy Murphy, who's the global head of planning, who I worked with quite a lot. Um, I, I, I didn't know there were planners and strategists until I walked into JVT. I'd never come across them. And actually, just as a discipline or as a way of working, I found it really fascinating and inspiring. Um, and he was brilliant because he would sort of establish projects like, um, we did a couple of things, um, sort of visualisation of brands. We did this one thing that was called Brand Toys where we built this engine that could... Um, basically kind of visualise your brand as a kind of vinyl toy. Right. So they would like... And it worked. It worked really well because you could see when we'd when we done it, it was a long project, but when we'd done it and you could compare, it was like Nike, Reebok, Adidas, uh, whatever, Puma, and you could see they were similar, you know, by, by inputting... The back end was inputting lots and lots of um, research data, but it would sort of turn it into a sort of figure. And um, it was kind of a good way to do introductory meetings or workshops yeah, it's really, really good. you know and so and then also at the same time we did a really serious version of that that was much more about mapping and, and over decades even centuries and that was with a guy called Eddie Aparo who now works at Brent Pentagram in New York um, and we did this really really kind of deep um, massive project called View which was about taking clients data and then sort of being able to almost at a drop of a hat. It was kind of a way to sort of stop presentations being so shit and PowerPointy. So in theory, you could put any data in and so all the data bits of the presentation would be a lot more interesting, a lot more sort of alive, but still, still very, um, you know, sort of technically adept. So if the brand toys were sort of like, oh, this is kind of fun, and but it works, view was the kind of more, okay, well, now we're into it. So kind of let's get a bit more serious and stuff. So I really enjoyed doing those kinds of things. Mm. And doing things like trying to sort of work out structures of the place and how, you know, how, you know, the creative department could work better with production, could work better with the studio. And I really enjoyed things like that in a place like that. Yeah. You know, I kind of, I got kind of quite heavily into some of that. Not, not, I mean, in a place like that, it's quite difficult to, to kind of get things to manifest themselves. But, you know, but it worked quite well. And so... So that was good. And I, yeah, I didn't really have a problem with it at all. I mean, except it was just, you know, massively intense and kind of crazy, yeah. you know, just from a sort of, uh, there, was always, you know, there was always something to deal with. Mm. And so, you know, you, know, you had to, you really had to kind of carve out 
time to sort of think and sort of get out. And you know, that's not to not to be trapped at your desk all the time and yeah. do other things and go and see the world and still get inspired and get the fuel to make things and stuff, which I always thought was always oh, it's really important. You know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And also, there's also little simple things like having to not make everything on screen. Yeah. Even if it's going to end up on screen. Oh God, yeah. You know, it's I mean, it's, it ends up. It's yeah. the, like, say it's the journey of a project mm. that's that's important. So you know, so yeah, I mean that was that was, yeah, that was like a mad crash course in sort of kind of corporate mm. kind of working and stuff, and it's good. I don't you know. Good, yeah. It's I just know. On things, well, it? I know how to do a big presentation now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we never did with we hardly ever did with tomorrow, so that's the thing. Mm. We just sort of vaguely wander in and sort of show some old work and chat a bit and yeah. go, okay, do you want us to work with you? Then yeah. <laughs> Which was kind of, it was apparently it was sort of, sort of charming to some people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> how, how involved were you with the uh, with the train spotting credits? Uh, no, it wasn't me at all. That was Jason and Dylan. So I love that piece. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's so great. simple, but just very. Well, they just just did the new one as well. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I hadn't seen it, but apparently there's more there's more typography in the actual film. But yeah, they went back and, and got out all the original players yeah. for the new one, including Jason and Dylan, which was great. Yeah. Um, but you know, Jason's still doing good stuff, and yeah. you know, really kind of, uh, really kind of, um, yeah, did some great things actually. Yeah. And um, but yeah, that was that was just them. There's a question I always ask at the end. It's a bit of an on-the-spot question, but I always I call it shark in the tank, and it's just a very ask for a, a love and a hit or a positive and a negative, a very loosely themed within creativity. It's a wide open. No, okay. Question. Um, I love, well, I love, uh, I tell you that, well, hate, well, hate is too strong a word, there's nothing, there's nothing. Yeah, so your interpretation. There isn't really anything I hate, even though I've just sort of ranted for nearly two hours. About it, so <laughs> I don't, I mean, I wouldn't have ranted about it, I didn't fundamentally kind of love it all, but, 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 um, I'm trying to think of a way to put it, um, it's really difficult to get work on and I, I know, I, 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 I want, I want, I just, I want to talk about the wider world, but, but um, especially in the last year or so, it's been very odd, and I kind of find, um, well, there's a, there's a whole whole kind of raft of factors, maybe. I mean, if I set aside people not liking me or my work, which is entirely possible, you know, the kind of notion that. Um, Either things have changed, or you don't fit, or there's a sense in which um, you know uh, too much diverse stuff, or um, kind of not being able to be pinned down, or a really a, a, you know the, the approach or something. I suppose what I'm saying is, is I find it odd that. And to widen it out, I know this is true of a couple of, of a couple of people I've spoken to. I think what kind of makes me feel a bit kind of uncomfortable is this sense that, and I don't really like the word creativity because I don't think it's right, but use it. Um, creativity is become sort of fairly secondary. Or certainly, in, certainly in the kind of commercial thing. I mean, and 
certainly not you know, film, you know, music and TV and all that stuff, still great. But when it comes to the kind of more marketing advertising design corporate whatever e <laughs> things, stuff, it's become, it seems to have been marginalised. And I think we've talked, we've spoken about a lot of the reasons why I think it is, it's, that's happened. Um, and I've also spoken about how I feel like maybe creators are doing it themselves. And there's another, but, but, but I was talking about the kind of less vocal, kind of more kind of you know, willing to not be autonomous side of it. But conversely, being more vocal and wanting to be autonomous has a similar effect too. So, you know, you can be marginalised because, you know, you are a little bit more spoken or a little bit more kind of willing to sort of to sort of point out where things, at least in one's own head, can be better or... But that might well be kind of upsetting to someone else who you might want to work with. Yeah. So, you know, kind of... Um, so, setting aside bridge burning and all that kind of stuff, there is a sense in that I'm finding it an odd... Um, sort of place at the moment, the kind of commercial artistic world, because it doesn't feel very artistic to me. And that really ups- that, that upsets me. Um, so, uh, so that, uh, in a broad sense, that's kind of a, like I say, it's not, it's not really a hate, but it's... No, I understand. It's sort of something that I would say, kind of, you know, kind of just does make me... Yeah. Sort of question a lot of things and question why people are doing a lot of things and question my own situation as well. I'm doing a lot, and um, you know how you know when you actually sort of when it really is a struggle, which it has been actually because it's frustrating. Um, You know things. You know aside from the usual things of projects that could happen not happening, which but just also trying to find things and trying to kind of communicate to people and. And sort of get somewhere, and there being very kind of little response, or sort of, or just a sort of question, kind of quizzical. You know, I like, I like to sort of get in touch with people, and I like work well, with you and stuff. And it's like I like to say hello, or kind of just send a little note if I like something and stuff. And mm-hmm. quite often, there's a little bit of a like, okay. Uh, and also, so if I if I want to work with someone, or if I want to get some work, I will, I will say it as well to people. <laughs> maybe it's just maybe it's a bit too upfront, but I just I suppose ultimately that kind of communal sense of a kind of collective will to want to sort of do things. Yeah, you know, it's it's no, I mean, and there are things going on and stuff and all that kind of thing. But you know, even when you try and and, and sort of do it in a way that sort of gels with people and stuff, something you know, it's quite difficult to get things actually off the ground. Yeah. Now, having said no, so that's that. I don't know. Does that make does that make any sense at all? I think it does. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, from a certain perspective, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not at the end of my tether, but it's, it's you know, at the moment it's, it's you know, probably for the f- most ever sort of really looking at things and thinking, what is this and is this right and how do I fit in in a way, I suppose, and that kind of thing. And, but, but conversely, so the other, the other side... Having said all of that, I've not, I've also, I haven't, I, I, well, it's been a long time since I've done as much stuff as I'm doing at the moment. Mm. 
So I've kind of, you know, I mean, I've been doing things for myself, which I'm trying to pursue to get done. So I read a TV series, got trying to get a VR thing off the ground, a new book, which it seems like I might have just found a publisher for, I don't know yet, but that's right. Um, and then also as well, at least twice or three times a week or, well, at least once a week I make a thing and that's sort of growing into a sort of series of, of kind of image making things and stuff. And and so really kind of just, um, I think, and I think that's st- that still comes from college in particular. And so, you know, the, the one I love is the fact that what college, what I got from college is still with me mm-hmm. and still really does drive, even when things are difficult and kind of quiet, you know, on the edge. It doesn't, it means there's always somewhere that I could kind of pull from to sort of motivate myself to get something going, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and that that's brilliant, you know, to have had that. I mean, you know, I mean, in a way, things could completely fall apart tomorrow, and I probably would still be, I'd be really gutted, but I fundamentally deep down, I'd be happy to experience everything I've, yeah. I've experienced. It's a good point to be. You know, and so that's that's something that I think, if if people open, if people approach things with a really open sense of 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 kind of looking and trying to relate to things and trying to find the best in things and trying to sort of be open and trying to be sort of good about things if you can. I mean, it's not always possible. But I think that, that what, what, what happens then is you, it kind of does, it does kind of come back to you, you know, <laughs> whether you have to drag it out of yourself or not, or, or whether it just appears out of nowhere, you know, and so, uh, which happens too, you know. I mean, like I say, I got, I got a phone call yesterday out of the blue say, from a friend in New York saying he might have found a publisher for this little book that I've done. So that was just a real surprise. And so things oh, yeah. start, you know, but, you know, you, you do work for it and you do kind of, oh, yeah. you know, spend a lot of time trying to get there. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, before, you know, for at least three years, you know, before college and into foundation course in the first and second year, you know, I went to see so many different places. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's why I still like to, you know, to sort of get in touch with places because, yeah. you know, it's, sort of, it's nice to sort of go, like I said, I went to see Tom and, and Ben and Bert before me yesterday and I really like what they're doing and, in fact, I don't do enough of it really, I kind of should do much more. But um, but it's like you going to going to meet you. But uh, you know, again, I, you know, um, I do sense that sort of in in a, in a lot of ways, people people are quite blinkered and kind of for no fault of their own. Sometimes it gets to, they're just in their own world. If you can kind of get out of that and look up, then things really open up. Thanks to Graham Wood for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me about his career and his work and his ideas and everything else that makes him a fascinating human being and a very talented individual. Also, um, go and have a look at Tomato's work, have a look at Graham's work, uh, do some digging, take a look. Uh, I think some of the ideas that Graham talked about are particularly important, especially when it comes to the education side of things. Getting out there, feeling the tactile, uh, and just enjoying being a part of what you're studying, what you're learning, not putting too much pressure on being any one thing, and just exploring who you are and where you're going and how you feel about certain things. And uh, I don't think there's any better way to forge a career. I know it's easier said than done when we're all trying to look for these crucial answers, but they don't come. You can't switch them on, just like inspiration and motivation. I think you have to wait for these things to sit, digest, and resonate and hit you at the right time. But the more things you do, the more you explore, I think, the better the chances of that coming together sooner rather than later. So if that makes any sense whatsoever 
then I'll be happy. <laughs> so cheers to Graham for that. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks again to the sponsors, heartinternet.co.uk, illustrationweb.com. Uh, thanks to support from the Association of Illustrators. As ever, uh, keep sharing, please. Keep spreading the word. Tell someone if you like the podcast. Uh, give us a recommendation. Drop us a little review on iTunes if you get a moment, please. It helps a lot. Uh, or on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on Stitcher now. You can listen there offline too. Uh, we've got all sorts of big episodes coming up soon. Um, recently had Kate Forrester, Jay Taylor, uh, Kim Bowsden talking letterpress and typography. So got all sorts coming up. We've got Gary Mansfield coming up. Uh, we've got Olivia Kugler for the 100th episode. We've got Sarah Peters, uh, uh, someone way down the ladder from where Graham's at. She's only just getting started. She's still working, still looking to get started in design and illustration. So I'm going to be talking to Sarah about the hopes and fears of all that kind of stuff. It's all going on, so do please, like I said, get us the feedback. Social media, at to rest on the mix. Thanks for listening again, guys, as ever. I hope to hear from you all very soon. Have a great week. Chat to you very soon. 